Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning, and we are glad that you are here. Our lesson for this morning, we're going to take a, a break from our Overcoming series. We're going to, I believe, come back to that in September. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll be off next week. We'll, we'll be on vacation, so uh, we will not be here next Sunday. Brother Kirk is going to be filling in for me. Um, so t- today I decided to instead finish off our One Word series. Um, we we kind of took a break from that last week because of the lesson that I had. Ended up being a two-part lesson, and I felt it better to, to do both of those parts in one day. So today we're going to, to finish up one word. We have one more to go. And we'll be done with that book and we'll move on to something else. I, I have an idea of what I want to do uh, following that. Uh, the one good thing about the one word series is that for 53 Sunday nights, I haven't had to worry about what I'm going to preach on. I haven't had to figure that out because it's already been decided. And uh, I, I like that. That's one of the, the hardest things for preachers to do sometimes is just to decide on what you're going to preach on. And so I haven't had to, to worry about that too much. Um, but we'll, we'll do something else. And I, I have an idea of how I want to, to go about our, our series from there. But as we look at this final lesson, we have over the last three or four weeks, because uh, we do break these up every so often, We've been looking at uh, different aspects of God. We have looked at God being the Father. We've also looked at God the Son. We've looked at Jesus and what He means to us. The word Christ was the one that we looked at last. Today's lesson is the one that, that out of all the list of, of lessons, this is the one that that I look forward to the least because it's one that we don't know a lot about. As a matter of fact, I was, I was studying for this lesson and I have a, a good friend that, that preaches at another congregation and they've been doing the One Word series as well. And they'd started well before we had and so I've been following some of his lessons and in preparation for my own. And it made me feel a little bit better because this is a preacher who's been preaching for uh, several years. And as he got up in the pulpit, one of the first things that he said was, I could tell you in all of two minutes everything that I know about the Holy Spirit. There are many things that we do not know. But uh, for him, he said it was a stretch to, to put it into a 27-minute lesson. And a lot of the things that we're going to deal with today are are questions. And you may leave with questions. You may leave with more questions than you have answers for. I, in studying for these things, I have more questions than I have answers for. There's just not a lot that we know for sure about the Holy Spirit. But I will share with you what what I know and what I believe. And and, and hopefully it, it will help you in some way. The Holy Spirit. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? From a a scriptural standpoint, what do we know? The Holy Spirit, I believe, is a person of the Godhead. I do believe Him to be a person. 
There are many things that, that lead me to believe that, that the Holy Spirit is a He rather than an It. For instance, consider the things that the Holy Spirit does and can do. The Spirit teaches and reminds. John 14, verse 26. The Spirit speaks. Acts 8 and verse 29. The Spirit makes decisions. Acts 15 and verse 28. The Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. The Spirit can be outraged. Hebrews 10 and verse 29. The Spirit can be lied to. Acts 5 and verses 3 and 4. The Spirit can forbid or prevent human speech and plans. Acts 16, verses 6 and 7. The Spirit searches everything and comprehends God's thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. The Spirit apportions spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. The Spirit helps us intercedes for us and has a mind. Romans 8 and verses 26 and 27. The Spirit bears witness to believers about their adoption. Romans 8 verse 16. The Spirit bears witness to Christ. John 15 and verse 26. The Spirit glorifies Christ, takes what is Christ and declares it to believers John 16 and verse 14. Seeing that the Spirit thinks, feels, and does certain things for us, it seems to me at least that He must be a person, at least to some degree. And I've presented a similar list, and I've had, had at least a couple that disagreed with me. And you may disagree with me. But that's what I believe based on the Scriptures. The only other creatures of comparison that I could think of that can think, feel, and do certain things are animals. And the Spirit is not to be compared with an animal by any means. But remember that we are created in God's image. And when God said that we are created in His image, in Genesis 1 and verse 26, He said, let us make man in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit is one of the three in the Godhead, it makes perfect sense that He is a person and worthy of personal recognition. Let's notice also some attributes of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, for instance, is able to convict us of sin. John 16 and verse 8. The Spirit indwells us. John 14 verses 16 and 17. The Spirit seals us. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. The Spirit guides us in all truth. John 16 and verse 13. The Spirit bears fruit through us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Spirit is our comforter. 
John 16 and verse 7. The Spirit fills us. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. The Spirit empowers us. Acts 1 and verse 8. And as we look at, at spiritual gifts, we'll look at those in a moment. But we understand that they were supplied through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 7. Though these are, are things that we know about the Spirit, it still leaves many questions. Questions arise in regard to, to how the Spirit works within us, especially today. I, I wanted to leave you with this example too. That, uh, as I mentioned before, there may be some things that you disagree with me uh, on this lesson. Uh, I'm trying to present it from a, a neutral standpoint to some degree, but there may be some things that that you may disagree upon. And you wouldn't be the first. There are many within the brotherhood who disagree on the workings of the Holy Spirit. Two great and well-known Bible scholars disagreed on how the Spirit works within us. Gus Nichols and Guy N. Woods. Both are well-respected in the brotherhood and yet both of these men, they disagreed cordially, but they disagreed about the workings of the Holy Spirit. They even debated each other on how the Holy Spirit indwells a Christian. Gus Nichols held to the idea of a literal indwelling of the Spirit, while Brother Woods believed that this indwelling was only applied through the Word, nothing more and nothing less. And though they disagreed on how the Spirit indwells the Christian, they agreed that this indwelling today is non-miraculous. The Holy Spirit is deity and worthy to be considered as deity, as one of the Godhead. The Spirit does not operate directly on the heart of an individual to convert them to Christianity or salvation nor does He exert His will upon an individual. In other words, we, we are free thinking. We, we are able to make our own decisions. Now when we study the Word, uh, the Spirit works within us to understand the Word. But the Spirit does not directly influence us one way or the other. We are influenced by what we believe to be the truth. And because of their agreement upon certain aspects of the Holy Spirit, their differences were not worthy of withdrawing fellowship from one another, and they remained good friends, respectfully disagreeing on this matter. Many in the church before and since share similar disagreement with one another, even to this day. I think that there are still many who disagree upon how the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we really get into our lesson. And though we may not all completely agree with every aspect of the workings of the Holy Spirit, it is important that we not let our disagreements divide us. Let us hold the same spirit of love and kindness with one another as these two men held toward each other. The first couple of points of our lesson, uh, again, this leaves us maybe with more questions. Uh, 
But a couple of things that, that are questioned the most in regard to the Holy Spirit, one of them is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to look a little, little bit deeper at, at what Brother Woods and Brother Nichols uh, believed in, res respectfully. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, let's begin with the case for literal indwelling. Literal indwelling. Those who became Christians on the day of Pentecost, and again, this is from a neutral standpoint, or as much from a, a neutral standpoint as I can, but this is making the case for a literal indwelling. Those who became Christians on the day of Pentecost were promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. In verses 38 and 39. Acts 2 and beginning with verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now certainly we understand from um, maybe just this passage or, or maybe just from, from the idea uh, of it going forward that not all who became Christians were promised miraculous ability. Some were. Some did have miraculous ability and they were able to do certain things that, that were of a special nature that, that not everyone else could do. But, but as we look at this passage, the idea is that uh, in regard to a literal indwelling, that these were still promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's a, a question more so of what would be that gift of the Holy Spirit if not miraculous. We also understand from this passage that the gift was promised to all who are afar off. And certainly when we look at to all who are far off, if we believe that, that miraculous ability has ceased, then that couldn't be talking about all who would seem to be afar off. It wouldn't be talking about all Christians going forward. So again, does this gift of the Holy Spirit apply to all Christians or does it apply to just some Christians? We also understand that the Spirit was given to those who obeyed. In Acts 5, verses 30 through 32, Acts 5, beginning with verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. The promise of the Spirit is valid for all believers. If we're looking at this from a literal indwelling standpoint, then the promise of the Spirit is valid for all believers, past and present. 
And this is not directly related to the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, healings, and so forth. So if we believe in in a literal indwelling, then as we look at this, we understand this to be the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is promised to not just those on the day of Pentecost, but to all believers. And we believe that the Spirit indwells us even today. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, though, though these, uh, as we look at this, when we look at, at the viewpoint of, of Brother Nichols and Brother Woods, they agreed that this was not a miraculous indwelling. But it is a little more than just the Word. It's, it's an indwelling that, that helps us to understand the Word. It, it helps us to apply it to our lives. But it's a little bit more than, than just working through the Word itself. And so, there are those that believe that this is a literal indwelling that we're talking about. But, but to be fair, let's also make the case for a figurative indwelling. And I'll leave you to make your, your own decision. As the Word becomes a part of us and dwells within us, so the Spirit dwells within us through the Word and works within us through a knowledge and understanding of the Word. And only through a knowledge and understanding of the Word. In Ephesians 5 and verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And as we fill ourselves with the Spirit, with the Word, He dwells in us. As As we allow the Word to fill us, the Spirit dwells in us. It's probably the better way of putting that. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And again, when the word dwells in us, so does the Spirit. It is a a figurative indwelling. Our thoughts and actions are guided by the Spirit, but only through the Word that dwells in us. We go back a verse for a moment in Colossians 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of God comes through a knowledge of the gospel of peace. And when we allow God's Word and Gospel to dwell in us, we are ordering our lives by the Word. And in that sense, the Spirit dwells within us. So, so there are those that hold to this view that, that as the Word would dwell in us, then so does the Spirit. So 
as we look at these two views, there are two different ones basically that make the most sense. It's either a literal indwelling in which the Spirit dwells within us in a literal, from a literal stance. And as the Spirit dwells in us, He can guide us. He can can help us in our understanding of the Word. He can help us to apply it and to live faithful Christian lives. Then there's also the, the figurative indwelling that is believed in. And basically the figurative indwelling is that of the Word. As we fill ourselves with the Word and as we study it, as we understand it, the Spirit guides us in our understanding. But again, let's look at, at the agreement between those who hold one view or another. Uh, again, miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They have ceased to be used in our day and time. Turn with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and beginning with verse 8. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will see. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Today we have the Word of God. We have the scriptures that are compiled together for an understanding of what God meant in the fullness of time. We have an understanding of, of God's working through His people in the Old Testament. We come up through the ages of the prophets. And, and we come into the time of Christ. And, and we see what Christ taught His apostles. And, and the apostles share with us what we need to know about becoming Christians and about the church that had been promised by Christ. We, we understand through them how we are to obey the gospel and so we, we have the, the complete, the perfect Word of God in, in its completeness. And, and so now that we have the Word, we, we no longer have a need for these spiritual gifts that were imparted to show people who was speaking, to show that they were Christians and, and to show what they needed to do and, and things of that nature. We no longer need spiritual gifts of that type. And so these gifts of prophecy and so forth are, are no longer necessary as by faith we believe the accounts of such miracles and are convinced of the power of God. We are in agreement that the Holy Spirit is deity and one of the Godhead. And the Spirit does not directly influence us to do His will necessarily. Again, we have an understanding of the Word, but by faith it is us making the decision to become a Christian or not. So whichever view you may believe, it is important that we find our common ground of agreement and continue together in the faith. Guyan Woods and, and Gus Nichols and others like them are great examples of such fellowship. 
Another question that comes often in regard to the Holy Spirit is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, look at the text in Matthew chapter 12 verses 31 and 32. Matthew 12 and beginning with verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Many are concerned especially with whether or not they themselves have committed such a great sin, have committed this unforgivable sin as it is referred to. And again, in this point, I may not answer the question completely, but the blasphemy of the Spirit, there are certain things that we know that the blasphemy of the Spirit is not. First of all, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not all blasphemy. It is not all blasphemy as according to Matthew 12 and verse 31 that we just read. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. So it's not every blasphemy. All who have committed this sin may be Forgiven, as it says here. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men with the exception of this blasphemy against the Spirit, which will not be forgiven men. But it is not all blasphemy. I believe it was mentioned in our Bible class that, that there are many that consider murder to be the greatest sin. That, that there are a lot of people that, that may, that will go to heaven. But if you've committed such a great sin as murder or, or something like that, then that would be something that, that would call for an eternal punishment. Murder is a great sin. It, it is widely understood from a morality standpoint that murder is wrong. But murder is not the blasphemy of the Spirit. Those who crucified Jesus were offered forgiveness and could be forgiven if they repented and obeyed the gospel. Acts 2, verses 36 through 41. So we understand that murder is not the blasphemy of the Spirit. It is a great sin. But someone who is murdered can be forgiven if they are willing to repent and if they are willing to obey. We also understand that the blasphemy of the Spirit is not one of the sins that is listed in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. And there are many of them. But, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. Verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, 
nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now again, go back and review some of those things. Fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, sodomy, thievery, covetousness, drunkenness, revelings, extortion. Those who participate in them, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But these have turned away from them. Such were some of you. You were some of these things that, that I just named, and yet you have been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So even as great as some of these sins may be, that is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is also not backsliding. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any, tra any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. They can be restored. Those who are backsliding, they can be restored. And so this is not the blasphemy of the Spirit. I do have a, a short list of things that the blasphemy of the Spirit might be. It, it might be the sin of total apostasy. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Hebrews 6, beginning with verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. It would appear that these are, are completely gone away from God. Though they were once faithful, they have now abandoned God. And so there's that warning against such apostasy might also be the failure to obey the gospel 2 Thessalonians 1 and beginning with verse 6 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6 since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. It is necessary for us to repent. It is necessary for us to obey the gospel. And those who are unwilling to do so, those who have failed to obey the gospel. It says here that vengeance will be taken on, taken on them by God. 
It might also be the rejection of God's final offer to man in the Christian age. But whatever the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit might be, you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit if you are willing to repent, turning away from your sin, and obey the gospel plan of salvation. If you're worried that, that you might have committed that sin, it's a good chance that you have not. Because you still have a heart that is willing to repent and turn to God. Those hearts that are softened to the point of belief and obedience, God is willing to receive as His invitation is offered to you, to all. Let's look at one final point quickly. What you should know about the Spirit today. And again, as we, we've looked at the indwelling of the Spirit and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you may be left with more questions than I know how to answer. But there are certain things that we should know about the Spirit. And that's what I want to leave you with today. It is possible and expected that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's turn for a moment to Ephesians 5, verses 17 through 21. Ephesians 5, beginning with 17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is little room for anything else. Our worship is pleasing to God. We are full of thanksgiving to God who has supplied us with all blessings. We are submissive to one another looking out for the needs of others before self. And being filled with the Spirit inspires us to continue faithfully in God's service. Being full of the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to forsake worldly pleasures for God's righteousness. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to be righteous. We want to be what God wants us to be. And that is our driving force in life, in our service. We should also know that, that when we pray, the Spirit is there to intercede for us in those things we do not know how to pray for. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will 
of God. He makes intercession for us, expressing the thoughts and desires of the heart that are too difficult for us to express. And finally, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul condemns sexual sins especially, but, but also anything that would defile the body in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our physical bodies, as well as the spirit of each of us within them, are given to us by God. And it is important that we use our bodies to honor God. Don't, don't give ourselves over to sexual immorality and, and sins against the body and sins against God. But we want to bring glory and honor to God. And as the Spirit dwells within us, may He guide us in all righteousness. God wants us to choose serving Him rather than the pleasures of this physical life. So though you may be left with, with questions, I know I'm left with questions in regard to the Holy Spirit, there are certain things that we should know. That we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we need to bring glory and honor to God in our lives and the way that we live in our bodies and, and in our spirit that is within us should be led to, to serving God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should act accordingly. If you're not a Christian, if you've not obeyed the gospel, then we would give you that opportunity. As we looked at earlier, we know what we need to do to be saved. Repent. Confess our faith in Christ. Be baptized for the remission of our sins. And the gift of the Holy Spirit has promised us. Maybe it is that you've not obeyed the gospel. Maybe it is that you have and maybe you've turned away from God. Maybe you need to repent and come back. Whatever your need may be this morning, if there's a way that we can help you, we offer you that opportunity as we stand and as we sing.